Hello, and welcome to Scary to Sleep. I'm your host, Shelby Scott, and I'm here to tell you about some weird stuff I found on the internet. This week is a holiday week here in the US, but this one goes out to those of you who have to work through the holiday or maybe feel lonely this week, or you are seeing your family and you know it's going to be a lot of plastered on smiles and eye twitches, if not full-blown rumble matches. This is kind of a strange episode that I don't really know how to categorize other than creepy historical stories about kids either disappearing or reappearing, or just appearing. That's way too long of a title, so I hope future me came up with something more succinct than that. To my new listeners, every once in a while I like to break up the fiction with some non-fiction, just to keep you on your toes. I wanted to do something that wasn't ghosts and wasn't necessarily true crime, though I guess some of these would technically fit into that category. Something strange and historical to maybe give you something to change the subject if you feel the conversation leaning to politics and you just don't have the energy to go toe-to-toe with Uncle Larry again this year. So, let's begin, shall we? Let's start first with the very strange case of the green children of Woolpit. Now, this story goes back very far, to 12th century England during the reign of King Stephen. This all happened sometime around 1150, the first written account of it being in 1189, so 40 years after all this occurred, which does leave room for error, But it's not unlike a lot of the Bible, which was written like way after that stuff allegedly happened. So, this happened in the village of Woolpit in the county of Suffolk. One day, two children were found, seemingly siblings. They had green skin and were speaking gibberish, or something that sounded like gibberish to the Englishmen who found them. They were taken to the manor of Sir Richard de Calne, where they refused all food for days, until one day, while walking through Sir Richard's garden, they came upon some broad beans, which they promptly picked and ate raw. And that was all they'd eat for a while. Just raw broad beans for days, weeks. Uh, But Sir Richard worked with them, and eventually they were able to incorporate more foods into their diets, and as they did, the green color faded from their skin they also began to learn English, which was when they were finally able to explain where they came from. And it was quite the description. They said the following, We are inhabitants of the land of St. Martin, who is regarded with peculiar veneration in the country which gave us birth. We are ignorant of how we arrived here. We only remember this, that on a certain day, When we were feeding our father's flocks in the fields, we heard a great sound, such as we are now accustomed to hear at St. Edmund's, when the bells are chiming. And whilst listening to the sound in admiration, we became, on a sudden, as it were, entranced, and found ourselves among you in the fields where you were reaping. The sun does not shine upon our countrymen. Our land is little cheered by its beams. We are contented with that twilight, which, among you, precedes the sunrise, or follows the sunset. Moreover, a certain luminous country is seen, not far distant from ours, 
and divided from it by a very considerable river. Soon after this, Sir Richard decided to have the children baptized. However, shortly after the baptism, the boy came down with a mysterious illness and died. The girl was known after her baptism as Agnes. Agnes remained in Sir Richard's care, learning the ways in which to keep a household. It was said that she was very wanton and impudent, but honestly, she was a scared kid plucked up from the middle of nowhere. Her only living family member died, and she was made to be a servant, so I never really take the word of the master on the servant at face value. After a few years, Agnes married an archdeacon named Richard Barr, and according to some sources, they had one child together. So, who were these mysterious green children? Were they extraterrestrials? Fey folk? Or possibly the malnourished children of Flemish immigrants who had settled en masse in Fornham St. Martin and were then slaughtered by King Henry II's forces during the Battle of Fornham? Historian Derek Brewer posited that this may have been the case and that the children suffered from chlorosis, a type of malnourishment that turns the skin a sickly shade of green. That's the most plausible theory. Or maybe they were aliens. This is the curious life of Caspar Hauser. On May 28, 1828, a teenage boy appeared on the streets of Nuremberg, Germany, which at this time was a part of the Kingdom of Bavaria. He was disheveled and confused. He walked with a gait that suggested he had just learned to walk. His hands and the bottoms of his feet were so soft, it looked like they had never been used. There are mixed accounts of who approached whom, but the boy soon came into contact with a shoemaker named Weichmann. The boy produced two letters that he had with him. Stories of feral children were not uncommon at the time, and that's what the shoemaker thought he had on his hands, considering the boy didn't speak much, but the letters revealed the boy's sad origins. Here's the first letter. From the Bavarian frontier, the place is not named, 1828. Hi, well-born captain. I send to you a boy who might, as he wishes, serve faithfully the king. The boy was left with me, 1812, the 7th of October, and I am a poor day laborer with 10 children and have enough to do to take care of them. And his mother left the child with me to bring him up. But I have not been able to speak to her, and I did not mention to the justice that the child was left with me. I thought that I must consider him as a son, and have brought him up like a Christian, and have not, since 1812, let him go a step from the house, in order that nobody might know where he was brought up. And he himself does not know how my house is called, nor what the place is called. You may ask him, but he cannot mention it. I have already taught him to read and write. He can write my handwriting like myself. And when we ask him what he will become, he says he will be a light horseman, as his father was. If he had parents, which he has not, he would have been a learned lad. You need only show him anything. He can do it at once. I have brought him only as far as Newmark. From thence he must go to you. I have said to him that, when he is once a soldier, I will come immediately and visit him. Otherwise, it would cost me my neck. Best of captains, you need not trouble him at all. 
He does not know the place where I am. I brought him away during the night. He does not know the way home. I am your obedient. I do not make my name known as I could be punished. And he has not a farthing of money with him, because I have none myself. If you do not keep him, you may kill him, or hang up in the chimney. By the way, shout out to the Historical Blindness Podcast. Their website is the only place I could find the full letter translated to English. They also had the second letter, which was written in Latin. The child is already christened, is called Casper. You must yourself give him a surname and bring him up. His father was a light horseman. When he is 17 years old, send him to Nuremberg, to the 6th Regiment of Light Horse, in which his father also served. I beg you bring him up till 17 years old. He was born on the 30th of April, 1812. I am a poor girl. I cannot support the child. His father is dead. This is where our first red flag about Casper appears. Both letters, allegedly written 16 years apart by two different people, appeared to be written with the same ink and very similar handwriting. To me, this could mean one of three things. One, it's just a coincidence that they look similar. Two, the man who raised Casper wrote both letters as a way to convince Casper to join the military and he would be free of one mouth to feed. Three, Casper wrote both letters. So the shoemaker did as the letter instructed and brought the young man to the home of Captain von Wessenig. Sorry about my pronunciations, I'm not very good at German. When the captain tried to speak to him, it was apparent that Casper had a limited vocabulary, mostly just saying over and over, I want to be a cavalryman, and repeating, horse, horse, horse. The captain also didn't know what to do with him, so he brought him down to the local law enforcement station, where they also didn't know what to do with him, other than put him in a cell and book him as a vagabond. When searched, they found the boy's clothes to be made for riding horses, and he had a handkerchief with the letter K embroidered on it. He also couldn't say his name, but he could write it. So he spent the next two months imprisoned in Lugensland Tower, again, I'm so sorry about my pronunciations, in Nuremberg Castle. His jailer, Andreas Hiltel, claimed the boy was in better physical condition than originally thought. He even climbed the 90 steps up the tower to his cell with no problem. Casper refused all food except bread and water. Locals would visit the boy as word of his curious origins had spread, and he had become a bit of a local celebrity. Mixed accounts of Casper's intellect were recorded. Some say he was intellectually disabled, while others say he was just undereducated and actually retained knowledge quite well when taught. Apparently, he also loved the attention from visitors and enjoyed talking to them and learning from them. He especially learned a lot from the jailer's son, an 11-year-old who took the time to teach him to talk properly. As he spent more time in the tower, Mayor Binder urged the boy to tell his story himself instead of relying on what was written in the mysterious letters. The story changed slightly from time to time, but the overall gist was horrifying. He was confined to a cage his entire life. It measured only two meters long, one meter wide, and one and a half meters tall. 
He said that he had a few toys, including two wooden horses and a bed made of straw. In his later autobiography, he spoke of the man who kept him there, that he would be fed water that sometimes tasted bitter and made him sleepy, and he was only given rye bread to eat. On the days the water was bitter, he said he would wake up to find his hair and nails trimmed and cleaned. He claimed that he only met one human being his whole life right before he was taken to Nuremberg. That man kept his face hidden and taught him to read and write. The man also taught him to stand and walk and to say the phrase, I want to be a cavalryman, as my father was. But Casper claims he didn't know what the words meant at the time. One day, the man woke him to tell him they were going to Nuremberg, and that was the last he saw of his alleged captor. When his current captors tried to vary his diet by giving him things like coffee or beer, Casper would have incredibly bad gastrointestinal distress and be ill with headaches and vomiting even when they hid them by baking them into the bread he ate. This knowledge spread to his visitors, who would then attempt to slip him other foods or drink in order to make him sick on purpose. I think sometimes when we look around this world and feel like things are worse than ever, it's bleak but important to remember that people have always been cruel. As I mentioned earlier, some of his visitors would try to teach the boy, like Judge Paul Johann Anselm von Feuerbach. He noticed that Casper didn't understand fire, attempting to touch the flame of the candle in his cell. He also discovered that though he didn't know much of anything else, Casper somehow understood money. When presented with them, he knew which coins were worth more than others, and knew their worths individually, making Casper's origins seem even stranger. The judge began to suspect that Casper may have had more aristocratic origins than it seemed. He even wrote a book about him in 1822, and like everything else before, these rumors began to spread, and talk of Casper possibly being the illegitimate son of a royal reached far and wide. Before we move on to the rest of the story, I will throw in a few other rumors I think were probably just manufactured from a Bavarian game of telephone, such as he could read books in total darkness. This was chalked up to the fact that he was raised in a dark cage and had developed the superhuman ability to see in the dark. It was also said that he could sense metals and electricity, that he could identify different metals even when hidden under a cloth. He could also sense magnets and said it felt like they were sucking the air from his body and he was incredibly sensitive to thunderstorms and static electricity. Because of Casper's newfound popularity, gifts and donations from the community flooded in. He was eventually released from his prison cell and somewhat adopted by a school teacher named Friedrich Dahmer. With Dahmer's directions, Casper found that he was actually a very good artist and loved to draw, and that he was a natural horseman. Some of his drawings, by the way, still survive to this day. Domer, however, also subjected Casper to many experiments, including with magnets to test his sensitivity to them. 
Dummer was also very into homeopathy and experimented with that as well on Casper. Dummer was the reason for a lot of the rumors of Casper's superhuman abilities. On top of the others I already mentioned, Dummer also claimed that Casper had incredible hearing and could hear over great distances. On top of being kind of a mad scientist, Dummer also was incredibly anti-Semitic. A lot of his spiritualistic beliefs he tried to impart on Casper were horrifying lies about Jewish people that I honestly won't even repeat here. You can look it up in, I have all of my sources in the show notes or on the website. I'm not going to talk about them, but they were terrible. So let's move on to the first attack. On October 17th, 1829, a year after Casper had been found wandering the streets of Nuremberg, he was discovered in Dahmer's basement with a bleeding wound on his forehead. Casper claimed he was using the toilet when a hooded man attacked him, who then told him, You still have to die ere you leave the city of Nuremberg. Casper said he recognized the man's voice as the same who had brought him to Nuremberg. There was a trail of blood from the cellar back to the room he had claimed to be in, but it did raise the question of why he hadn't tried to find help. The attack was investigated by authorities, and it only added fuel to the fire of the rumors that Casper must have been some discarded son of a royal, that his newfound celebrity had put a target on his head, and this person wanted to make sure Casper's true identity was never found out. They even took him from the house of Domer and put him into the care of Johann Bieberbach. By this time, Casper had been written about in newspapers and magazines all over Europe, so it could even be that he was of English origin or Hungarian. Who was this mysterious boy? Of course, I do need to note that there was one other rumor. That Casper and his mentor, Dahmer, had just gotten into an argument where Dahmer had accused Casper of having a tendency to lie. So those who weren't as charmed by this mysterious boy put forth that he could have just taken a razor and injured himself to elicit pity. Now, to attack number two. Now at Bieberbach's home, on April 3rd, 1830, a shot rang out. The sound was traced to Casper's room. He claimed to his escort, who had rushed into the room, that it was just an accident. He had been climbing a chair to grab a book, fell, and on his way down, accidentally grabbed the pistol hanging on the wall, and it went off, leaving him with a superficial wound on the right side of his head. And get this, this incident also allegedly happened right after Bieberbach had accused Casper of being a liar. Mrs. Bieberbach is noted also complaining of Casper's horrendous mendacity and art of dissimulation and called him full of vanity and spite. Casper was transferred again to another house, this time of Baron von Tucher, again, I am so sorry Germans for my pronunciation, who was heard complaining of his house guest's incredible vanity and propensity for lying. Casper then bounced around from house to house for a while, seemingly being the worst of house guests, 
One of his patrons, Lord Stanhope, even wrote about him later, listing all the ways in which he thought Casper was some sort of fraud. Some think that Stanhope was actually a shill for the House of Baden, which is where a lot of people think Casper may have come from, and that the House of Baden would do anything they could to discredit the young man. After a string of patrons and homes, we come to December 14th, 1833. Casper came home with a deep wound in his chest. He claimed to have been lured to the Ansbach court garden, Ansbach being one of his many patrons who had soured on him. He said he was approached by a hooded stranger who gave him a small bag and stabbed him. Police retrieved a small violet-colored purse with a note that was written backwards, like you would need to hold it up to a mirror to read it. It said, Hauser will be able to tell you quite precisely how I look and where I am. To save Hauser the effort, I want to tell you myself where I come from. I come from the Bavarian border on the river. I will even tell you the name. M-L-O. Casper Hauser died three days later of his wounds. So... There has been a movement to prove that he is in fact the son of Charles, Grand Duke of Baden, and Stephanie de Bichonet, cousin by marriage and adopted daughter of Napoleon. The couple had a baby on September 29, 1812, who died on October 16, 1812. Or did he? Was he secreted away to a laborer with ten children? only to emerge 16 years later as Kasper Hausen? According to DNA testing, probably not. The House of Baden has not allowed any direct DNA test to be done on Stephanie's remains, but it was done on a relative of hers, and it looks like Kasper was not the mysterious lost prince of the House of Baden. So what happened? Who killed Kasper? Was there someone actively hunting this mysterious, albeit annoying, young man? Or were they all orchestrated fabrications by Casper himself, perhaps wounding himself fatally by accident on his final attempt to gain sympathy? Or was he a secret royal? Or maybe a normal, lower-classed young man trying to escape his provincial life by creating his own mystique? Or maybe something else entirely. What do you think? And my last tale to tell tonight is that of the princes in the tower. Our story begins in England in the mid-1400s during the War of the Roses. My UK friends, I know that this is a big part of your history, and it's full of so much more nuance than what I'm about to say, but I just want to get out the gist of the story so you understand what this time period was like. Basically, King Henry VI was in charge, but his cousin, Edward IV of the House of York, wanted to be in charge. So, Henry's side, they're the Red Roses. Edward's, the White. Edward IV successfully managed to imprison his cousin, King Henry VI in the Tower of London. Okay, so sometime during all this, 
Edward IV married his wife, Elizabeth Woodville, who then became queen. This was very controversial, as she was already a widow with children and a commoner. That's so many British royal no-nos. On top of that, there were rumors about Edward's own paternity and whether he should rightfully sit on the throne. And there's the little matter of his cousin, the actual king, mysteriously dying in prison. So, there were not rumors, however, about paternity or commoner wives and all that against his brother, Richard III. Yep, that one. The one Shakespeare wrote about being an evil little man. The guy whose crooked-ass skeleton they found in a parking lot. That Richard III. So, in 1470, Elizabeth Woodville gave birth to Prince Edward V, the rightful heir to the throne. When little Prince Edward was three, he was sent to Wales, where he was cared for by his uncle, Anthony Woodville. He remained there as the Prince of Wales until his father's death. In 1873, three years later, Elizabeth gave birth to another son, Richard the Duke of York, who was allowed to grow up with his sisters at home. On April 9th, 1483, King Edward IV died suddenly after a fishing trip. He was only 40 years old. And despite what the stereotype is, people really didn't die as young as we think they did back then, especially well-fed, well, well-nourished, protected kings. Okay, so on his deathbed, he declared his brother Richard III as Duke of Gloucester and the protector of his son Edward, the Prince of Wales. At the time, Edward was only 13, so Richard was to serve as King Regent until the boy came of age at 16. Young King Edward's party set out from Wales for the boy to attend his coronation to officially be crowned King of England. On the way, however, they were met by Richard III, pretending to want to help them escort the young king and celebrate with him. The party spent the night in merriment, only to be awoken the next day by Richard III's men, putting them in shackles, placing them under arrest. When Elizabeth heard about this, she took her other children and fled, hoping to save them from their tyrannical uncle. On May 10th, young King Edward V was placed in the Tower of London. The reason given was that he would be kept safe there for his coronation. Richard's council requested that the Queen come out of hiding to attend the coronation, which was scheduled for June 22nd. The Queen denied these requests. The council was getting nervous about Richard's newfound fervor at trying to discredit the young king. He began touting that King Edward V was actually illegitimate, since his father was engaged prior to marrying Elizabeth Woodville, and through some British monarchy math, that meant that their children were not legitimate heirs to the throne. On June 16th, Richard III sent some goons to Elizabeth and forced her to give up Richard the Duke of York again, only 10 years old at the time. He claimed to the council that he wanted the boy to be sent to keep his brother company in the Tower of London, where he was still awaiting his coronation. Days later, right before the coronation, the attendants for the boys were dismissed. At the end of June, 
Anthony Woodville and any other supporters of the young king were executed for treason. The coronation was then rescheduled to November until being canceled completely. On July 6, 1493, Richard III was crowned King of England. An Italian diplomat visiting court at the time wrote, withdrawn to the inner apartments of the tower proper, and day by day began to be seen more rarely behind the bars and windows, until at length they ceased to appear altogether. Already there is suspicion that they have been done away with. Elizabeth never saw her two boys again. The last time they were noted being seen was mid-July, playing in the Tower Garden. Thirty years later, the famous Thomas More said that a Dr. Argentine who attended the young King Edward had this to say about the last time he saw the boy. The young king, like a victim prepared for sacrifice, sought remission of his sins by daily confession and penance because he believed that death was facing him. No one knew what had become of the boys until, perhaps, 200 years later, when part of the tower was being demolished. Under the stairs, a wooden chest was found with the skeletons of two children inside. They were a bit of a medieval tourist attraction until Charles II had them interred at Westminster Abbey. Until 1933, when they were dug up to use more modern techniques to determine if they were in fact the two lost princes. Forensics found that the skeletons belonged to two children around ages 10 and 12. Since then, King Richard III was also lost and found. In 2012, his skeleton was found, and in 2015, modern DNA testing determined it was, in fact, the evil king himself. However, modern technology has not yet been used on the skeletons found in the tower. There's talk that it may not be them, considering one of the jaws showed signs of a congenital defect that neither was known to have. So, maybe the little princes have never been found after all. And for good measure, I have to mention that the ghosts of the princes have allegedly been seen and heard in the tower in years since. Thanks for listening. Sorry for the shorter episode, but it is holiday week and I have some traveling to do. Um, Thank you so much for listening. Follow the show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all the good stuff at Scare You to Sleep. Follow Bloody FM on all those socials as well. Best network I've ever been a part of. This has been great. Uh, If you have stories you'd like me to consider for the show, send it to scareyoutosleep at gmail.com. And uh, I think that's about it. Let's see, did I do any baking this week? I don't believe so. Not since the last time we... Oh, I did. Oh my god, I made focaccia bread yesterday. If you're new to baking bread, I'm not a great bread baker. Not yet, anyway. Focaccia is the way to go. It's so hard to mess up. It's just very... It's a very easy bread. 
it doesn't i mean it it takes a little i feel like it takes a little less time than some of the other more difficult breads and you can put like whatever you want in it like whatever flavors you want in it it's great so go make some focaccia or don't uh, whatever it's wait it's thanksgiving week a lot all my american listeners are probably baking up a storm this week don't listen to me don't you're, you're already doing your fair share um international listeners you better go bake some focaccia um <laughs> just just kidding i'm not making anyone do anything um but anyway hope you're having a great week i know the holidays can be hard for some so just know um i just wanted to throw out this weird episode to lighten your mood a little bit and again give you something weird to talk about at dinner um yeah anyway i'm gonna go uh clara and i are going on our first road trip together so that's gonna be fun and i'm very scared and it's pretty daunting but (laughs) it's gonna be fine it's gonna be great she's gonna be great she's gonna visit her grandma it's gonna be great okay i love you all go get some sleep sweet dreams